I love it when I'm muted. Good morning, everybody. It's really nice. It's nice, nice to see you. It's nice to have you here. It's very nice for me to be here, too. Special thanks to these wonderful ladies, Lauren and Katie and, and Ann, for, for their music. Um, it always sets the tone for worship for me to be able to listen to such music. Um, I am really grateful to be here with you today. Uh, we, we need to have some special prayers. Jim Howard is on the East Coast at a board meeting, so we pray for his safe travels. Uh, Rob Schmidt had an accident yesterday on his bicycle and cr- did some damage to his, to his ribs. Um, hopefully, I don't know whether or not he's punctured a lung or not, but, but he's okay, and he is uh, at home um, recovering. He was on a bicycle ride with his children, with his two boys, so we hope that he will heal well and heal quickly. Pastor Jim has been taking us through the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, and today we're going to culminate this series as we transition from the Old Testament Mosaic Law into the New Testament where we see the law of Christ. In case you missed it, and it would be pretty hard to do, there were a lot of laws given to the nation of Israel by God. The laws of God set up boundaries and tried to unite these people into a nation who had never been a nation before. They had no idea how to function as a community, nor how to worship and revere and obey a God that they could not see. In the Old Testament, the personal rights of individuals were protected by the divine law of retribution. That means that every injury had to be avenged. Now, this was very typical of ancient civilizations. It was not unusual, but the Israelites did have a lot of laws that were unusual for them. And the aim of the retribution by God for his people was redemption, to form a proper community and give dignity to all the people. Likewise, today, you and I live in a nation of laws. Laws, laws, and more laws. Local laws, city laws, national laws. Every time we turn around, there's a new law. So when you stop and think about the Old Testament Levitical laws, they're kind of weird, kind of odd. But are you ready for this? Listen to this. Every state, every country, every city has laws that really nobody understands. In Boulder, Colorado, you cannot drink and ride a horse at the same time. It's also illegal to fish from the back of a horse. Again, in Boulder, it's illegal to permit one's llamas to, to graze on city property. No, don't forget that one. In Sterling, Colorado, cats may not run loose without having a taillight attached. In Louisville, Colorado, residents may not own chickens. You can have three turkeys, but no chickens. Tall dandelions and other weeds are banned in Pueblo. The throwing of snowballs is illegal in Aspen. 
Now, my apologies to my Texas friends, but wait till you check out some of these laws from Texas. In the fours, it is illegal to take more than three drinks, sips or swallows, of beer while standing up. Eating your neighbor's garbage without permission can land you in jail for trespassing and property theft. Don't forget that. In Texas, it's illegal to milk someone else's cow. In Houston, it's illegal to sell Limburger cheese on Sundays. Indeed, you must give oral or written notice 24 hours in advance of robbing someone. And if you sit on a sidewalk in Galveston, you could be fined $500. Finally, it's illegal in Mesquite, Texas, to give your kids an unusual haircut. So see, the Old Testament laws are really not as funny as we think they are. In fact, the Mosaic laws were outward distinguishing marks of the Israelite nation. They were The laws were, it made them what they were. The Old Testament laws separated the Israelite nation from her polytheistic and pagan Gentile neighbors around her. It became a nation of laws, 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 and more laws, unique to that Jewish culture. The laws were interpreted, and they were reinterpreted by all the Jewish leaders all the way up until the time of the rabbis, And the ordinary folks were demanded that they should follow and adhere to these these laws very closely so that there would be no penalties. Unfortunately, (coughs) over the centuries, the Jewish laws erected a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was a huge barrier. It became a point of pride and of false security for the Jews. By the time of Jesus, the Jews were bound by 613 laws. A woman could not take a a needle out of her blouse on the Sabbath because that was work. And, of course, you cannot work on the Sabbath. (coughs) Hold it. (coughs) Somebody said it's just being Colorado. Are you dry? I'm dry. So a woman could not take a needle out of her blouse on the Sabbath because that was considered work. A number of the confrontations that we see between Jesus and the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, in the Gospels has to do with the, with the Sabbath. So <clears throat> they used their power, the, the Jewish leaders did, they used their power and they used their position really to subjugate the people and to put them under this heavy, heavy burden of laws. In the Gospels, we see a man whose right hand was shriveled up and deformed. And the right hand, of course, was very, very important. The Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, tried to capture Jesus, tried to accuse him and catch him in doing something wrong on the Sabbath. They were looking for a way to accuse him of of not being who he said he was. So they watched him just to make sure that he would heal this person on the Sabbath. And you know what? He did. 
Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus intentionally restored the man's hand right in front of everyone. And then he said to the leaders, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? They could not answer him, and the Jews were furious. But Jesus, God in the flesh, has authority to override human regulations that completely missed the divine objectives of the Sabbath. The day of rest was instituted by God for the good of his people so that people could be in relationship with God. If you really stop and think about it, the very same thing is true in the church today. So, is the church, our Christians, you and me, <clears throat> are we bound by these laws? This is a question that confounded the Apostle Paul as he ministered to the early Christian congregations. In the book of Romans, he addressed what he called the law of sin and death. This is, as the Old Testament reveals, what human nature is all about. Sinfulness truly is a preparation for death. The law was given to convince all people that they were guilty before a holy God. We are all sinners. Romans 3.10 There is no one righteous, not even one. Paul was right when he said to the people, you cannot be declared righteous by your own personal character and conduct. Even obedience to the entire law of Moses cannot justify you before a holy God because no one can keep it perfectly. Disobedience to just one little teeny tiny part of the law makes a person a sinner and therefore unworthy to be in God's presence. The very nature of the law was to prove to all people that we are sinners and we deserve God's punishment. The law brings wrath, Paul said. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived. There are severe consequences which God ordained for those who blatantly disobey him. We are condemned to death because of our fleshly, sinful nature. The Old Testament laws became an avenue through which sin is recognized. And the rigorous demands of the Old Testament law became a heavy, heavy weight on sinful humanity. But, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I don't think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what he said basically was a prediction of what he was going to do. That is, he became the ultimate sacrifice for us to fulfill all the Old Testament laws concerning sacrifice and atonement and the covering of sin 
Now we have redemption through Christ. And the law of sin and death has been overruled by the law of Christ. To encourage the Roman Christians, Paul wrote Romans 6.14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7, 4 through 7a. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, what should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have never known what sin was had it not been for the law. And this is my favorite, Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, now, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus took all the demanding commandments of the law of Moses and summarized them into two commands. Love God and love your fellow human beings. The intent, the goal, the objectives of all the Old Testament laws are sustained by our faith in Jesus, who really was the only one who could ever fully meet all of the requirements of the law. Faith in him is hope for us. The central principle of the Old Testament law is love. The law of Christ includes all the moral and ethical demands that are found in the Old Testament law. And then he takes it one step farther, demanding the law of love. What what it means to live according to the law of love is to be in accordance with Jesus Christ and the pattern he set up that was exemplified through his death and resurrection, and his incredible love for us. Christ's own self-sacrifice on the cross becomes a paradigm or an example of the amazing, unconditional love of God for us. In the New Testament book of James, the author wrote James 2, 8, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now, this is exactly the same thing. The royal law is a summation of all of the other laws. Thus, it is the law of love. James calls it the royal or the kingly law because it is based on all Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God. 
it is clear from James that the kingdom of God is ruled by the law of love. If we are going to be a part of this kingdom of God, then the rule that we must follow is the law of Christ. Romans 13.10 Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Finally, this ultimate, final, all-inclusive law of love is what leads us to freedom in Christ. The Apostle Paul told his church in Galatia that they were not in bondage anymore. Woohoo! Thus, we are not under the law. We are called to be free. Galatians 5.13, yes, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Believers are not under the yoke of the the Mosaic law anymore. The law will never justify us or bring us into an intimate, close relationship with God. The law can never fill us with the spirit of life, the spirit of Christ who empowers and grants us the ability to follow the rule of life the law of Christ. Now, we have to remember that Paul was a very, very traditional, dyed-in-the-wool, law-abiding, law-loving Jew. And he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. But God called him by his grace, and in his mercy, he completely changed Paul. For him to make an about-face and tell the Galatians that they were free from the law was really quite remarkable. When Paul said to the Galatians that they were free from the law, he was specifically thinking about those laws which created a breach between the Jews and the Gentiles within his early Christian congregations. Laws which divided people, such as circumcision and the food laws, and the Sabbath laws. While these were distinctive marks of the Jews, Paul gladly proclaimed the gospel of Christ to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. So the Gentiles were never under the Jewish law. So a more perfect law had to be created to unite the Jews and the Gentiles into what we would now call the church. That is, all Christians are free, regardless of your background. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul goes on to detail exactly what this looks like and how it operates. And we're back in the book, in the, the book of Galatians. Galatians 5.19. Believers are free from 
the fleshly desires, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgy and the like. If you really worked hard at it, I think you could go back to the Old Testament laws and you could find each one of these things addressed. Such were the acts of sinful nature which attach us to this world, to our society and to the culture around us. These desires seduce us and want to capture us and keep us in bondage. Instead, in Christ, we are free to express the spirit of life that lives within us. Galatians 5.22, a lot of you know this passage. We are set free. We are made free to love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are free from the bonds of sin and slavery to the world. We are free from fear and anger and anxiety. We are free from complaining and arguing and judging one another. We are free to confession, forgiveness. We are free to serve one another, encourage one another, and carry each other's burdens. We are free to live abundantly in and through the Spirit of Christ. True freedom, and and please make a note of this, true freedom is never found in human government mandates. True freedom is only found in Jesus Christ and in the law of love. In the end, of course, we realize that the law of Christ can only be fulfilled in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it ourselves. The Holy Spirit was sent to us to enable us to live under this law. In the face of all the things that this world throws at us to try to derail us, we must go on walking in the Spirit led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, living the law of love. If we obey this law, then we have obeyed all the moral and ethical teachings of the Old Testament law, and we have freedom in Christ. John 8, 31, 36. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a free man. Oh, he was imprisoned by the Nazis for years, but he was a free man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an academic a writer, a theologian, a pastor, and a martyr. 
He knew very early that the National Socialism Party of Germany was a brutal attempt to make history without God. He denounced a political system that made the Fuhrer the god and the idol of the country. He was considered an enemy of the Nazi party and and not unlike the Apostle Paul, was imprisoned for his deep faith and his Christian writings. Hostile to Hitler's regime, he was arrested in 1943 and placed in prisons and in concentration camps. There, he inspired the guards by his complete unselfishness and kindness. Tirelessly, he comforted all the other prisoners who were anxious and depressed. In spite of his own situation, he spent his time ministering to others. In the face of torment and death, he had an uncompromising courage to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. He walked steadfastly to his own hanging in 1945 and died with admirable calmness and dignity. Imprisoned by men, Bonhoeffer was free to demonstrate the law of love. His life and his death, not unlike that of Jesus Christ himself, was a victory and a hope for liberty and for love. Let us pray. Father God, we need you. We really need 